do an incredible job. Yeah. They went old school at the end. Did you hear that? Victory and Jesus. I ain't heard that in a minute. You know, us new school saints, we don't sing the old stuff anymore. But I'm so thankful for, um, for them leading us in worship and for Jamie. Can we give God some praise for Jamie and the rest of her team for the incredible job that they continue to do? If, if this is your first time with us, my name is Lamar. I'm one of the pastors here at Tri-Cities Church. We are excited that you chose to join us. We understand there are plenty awesome places to worship, um, but I'm a little bit partial. I think we're one of the best. And so um, if you are new, if this is your first time, there's something called a connection card in the seat in front of you. You can fill that out, give us some information about yourself, and let us know how we can pray for you. That will be amazing. This is your first uh, Sunday with us. I want to invite you back next week for our Easter resurrection celebration. There are two services one at 9 and one at 11, and so we want to invite you back, and not only do I want to invite you, I want to invite you to invite someone to come back and join us next week, 9 and 11. So we are in a series uh, called Seven, uh, and it's really a series about questions that Jesus asked. So the subtitle is Seven Questions That Will Change Your Life. Here's sort of the premise. I can't give you all of what we talked about because we're in week five, If you do have a smartphone, if you do technology, I would encourage you to go to the Apple Store, download our podcast, subscribe to it, and you can listen to all of the messages in this series. Here's sort of the premise so you can kind of catch up. We notice when we read the Bible that oftentimes Jesus doesn't answer a question with an answer. Most of the time when Jesus is asked a question, he will answer the question with another question. You ever notice that? Like he never asked. As a matter of fact, I think, uh, and again, I said I could be off. There are only three times where Jesus directly answered a question with an answer. Most of the time, Jesus will ask questions, and it's cool for us to have questions for God. God says, come, let us reason together. You should bring all your questions to God. But here's sort of the premise. What happens when God has a question for you? What happens when it's time for us to stop asking and start listening to the things that God is asking from us? And so over the last several weeks, we've looked at some of the questions that Jesus has asked several people and how It might apply to your life. Last week, we talked about worry. When Jesus says, can worry add anything to your life? And in the end, we found out that Jesus says, I want you to have at the top of your list a singular focus. That Remember, we said last week, God doesn't ask for exclusivity, but he does demand priority. At the top of your list, he says, seek me first and my kingdom, and then everything else that you need, God is going to take care of it. God wants to be at the top. And, and, and really what he's saying is if you want less worry, have more worship. If you want to worry less, worship me more. So I'm excited that the kids led us in worship um, because they help us to understand how to worship more. So I want to start off with a, a story about a child, actually. Uh, so there's a story of this young boy who around Christmas time, he wanted a brand new bike. And so um, because he came up in a Christian household, He said, you know what, instead of writing a letter to Santa, I'm going to write a letter to Jesus. I want Jesus to give me, because my mama told me that Jesus can do anything. And so he sat down and wrote a letter, dear Jesus, if I behave for six weeks, will you give me a new bike? And then he sat down and said, I'm tripping. I'm not, I know I'm not going to behave for six weeks. So he tore that letter up, wrote a new one, says, okay, Jesus, scratch that. Uh, If I behave for four weeks, will you give me a new bike? He thought about it for a second. He said, I'm tripping, man. There's no way I'm going to be good for four weeks. Okay, scratch that. Jesus, if I'm good for two weeks, can you get me a new bike? Then he really started to think about, you know what? Uh, I, I'm a sinner. I know I messed up. 
Uh, so all of a sudden, he tears up that letter, and he runs into the living room, and on the mantle of the fireplace, his grandmother had a statue of the Virgin Mary, Jesus' mother. And so he ran into the living room, grabbed the statue off the mantle, put some duct tape around her mouth, and threw it in the closet, and sat down and wrote a letter, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> I like y'all. Y'all are fun. <laughs> but here's what we learn from that story. That most of us, we have this conflicted relationship with God because on one hand, he knew I need to ask Jesus because Jesus is the person I love. He's the one who can do anything in my life. But then he also had this intense love for stuff. And so this is kind of balanced. Remember we said last week what Jesus says, the reason why you worry is because you have distracted cares. He said, I want you to focus on me. And isn't it true that most of us, if we think about it, we, we have this thing where we, we love this and we love that. I used to believe that we overuse the word love in the English language. Uh, because we can love anything from our spouse to our children to our favorite pizza to a pair of shoes. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We just love everything. And I used to think we love too much stuff. We overuse this word called love until I realized that maybe we don't overuse it. Maybe we're just hardwired to love. Maybe there's something about us that, that's hardwired to love. And while he loved Jesus and he loved the bike, you saw that it ended up being sort of a conflict. And let's be honest, there are so many different things that I love. There are so many things that I have an attraction and an affection for. There are so many things that draw my attention that sometimes it becomes a conflict. Here's what I discovered, that the human heart is both easily attracted and easily distracted. And the reason why I can love this today and love something else and love my wife and at the same time say I love pizza. Come on now, we love inanimate objects, we love people, we love places, we love movies, we love all sorts of things. And it's not, I don't think, because we overuse the word love. I think that the human heart is wired for love. Here's the problem, that our hearts are easily attracted, but they're also easily distracted. That I love things so much and the next thing that comes along that grabs my attention I sort of love that too, and all of a sudden I end up being the type of person who can be loyal to one thing. And our affection and attraction at best can be described as intense, inaccurate, and inconsistent. Don't check out on me because I know some of you are thinking you don't know me like that, but I want to show you in the text how Jesus asked a question of his disciples. So now I'm going to ask this question, and unlike all the other questions, this one is really aimed at Judas, but I want us to understand that there are some places in our lives where we're sort of just like Judas. Here's a question for today, and I want to just kind of flip it around and make it applicable to us. Luke chapter 22, verse 47 and 48. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Don't miss that. One of his homeboys. And Jesus walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. Verse 48, but Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? See, what's great about this week is that this is what's called Holy Week in Christianity, and this is the week of passion where we celebrate. This is Palm Sunday where we celebrate how Jesus made his triumphant entry, and there are palm leaves and palm branches. You remember the story if you grew up in church. If you didn't, that's cool. We are glad you're here. So, so there's a story where Jesus rides into Jerusalem for his final mission to die on the cross, and they lay palm branches and trees on the ground so he can ride in just like a king that he is. And we celebrate that part, but, but also at the end of this week, there's something called Good Friday. 
And um, that's the moment where Jesus finally goes to the cross to do his thing. And it's almost like, okay, let me see. Um, let me see how I can put this. Anybody in here love sweet and salty snacks? Throw your hands up in the air. Okay, now wave them like you just don't. Okay, all right. Sweet and salty, you know how it is, right? It's sweet and it's salty, and it's kind of these two different things that kind of go together and sometimes don't come. Okay, I got a couple witnesses over there, right? And, and this, this Passion Week is sort of like sweet and salty at the same time. It's sweet because Jesus rides in, but it's salty because at the end of the week, the same people who were saying Hosanna are the same ones who said crucify him. That's why I say you got to be careful when you let people vote on stuff pertaining to your life. Because people will one day tell you how great you are and in the next moment say crucify him. They'll tell you how great you are and the next moment stab you in the back. That's why I'm careful about giving people a vote in my life because one day they'll tell you you're great and they'll applaud you and then by the end of the week they'll attack you. And the same people who said Hosanna were the same ones who actually led to Jesus dying on the cross. But, but that's cool. I, I get that. Right? I, I get that because they were faced with a decision. But what, what I don't get is Jesus' own homeboy, Judas, set into motion something that would give him his life, to get him killed on the cross. Like, like, I get it. The crowd is fickle. I get that. Like, like, I don't expect everybody to agree with me. I don't expect everybody to appreciate me. But the people that I sit with, the people that I've been doing life with, the people that I've been hanging out with, that I spent three and a half years with, and here comes Judas in the garden, and then he gives Jesus a kiss. And in those days, they greeted each other with a holy kiss, either on one cheek or both cheeks. And, and you ask this question of Judas, but come on, let's ask ourselves this question. Because Judas goes into the garden, and Jesus is there with his disciples. He's saying, okay, let's go pray, man. It's, it's getting tired. Things are about to go down to the wire. And here comes Judas with the crowd of soldiers and kiss Jesus on the cheek, not as a sign of affection, but a sign to identify this is the man you want. And Jesus asked a critical question that it's important for Judas, but I think maybe we need to ask ourselves this question. Jesus says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man? Would you betray me with a kiss? I titled this, this sermon, Killer Kisses. That he walked into the garden with somebody that he hung out with, that he did life with, somebody who did some incredible things for him and identified him as the man that they should arrest and eventually be killed. And the way he identified him was with a sweet kiss on the cheek. Here's your guy right here. Jesus says, would you betray me with the kiss? Okay, so you're saying I, I haven't kissed Jesus, but can I just ask you the question? Uh, here's a question for you this morning that Jesus is asking, would you betray me? Yeah, no, me. Like, like I'm the one who's been there for you your, your whole life. I'm the one, even, who, even when you didn't really believe in me, I was still there for you. Would you betray me? Come on. I, there, I understand there's some people that you probably should walk away from. There are some people that you probably should stop dealing with. There are some people that you probably should, for your own mental health, just walk away from. But out of all the people that you will walk away from, would you really walk away from me? After all I've done for you, see, this is a good question because, let's be honest, most of the reason why we struggle in our faith has nothing to do whether or not we think we betrayed God. Most of the reason why we struggle in our faith is because sometimes we feel like God betrayed us. 
God, how come you didn't do this? And how come you didn't answer this prayer? And how come you didn't give me that? And how come I ended up being sick? And how come my mother died? And how come all these things are happening to me that I don't feel like I deserve? And most of my struggle, if I'm honest, doesn't really relate to me thinking that I'm betraying Jesus. Most of my struggle is because I think that God has betrayed me. But let's flip the question because Jesus always has a great question. His question is, not have I turned my back on you, but come on, let's do something some insight and some introspect. He says, would you really betray me? Out of all the people that you know, out of all of those people in your life that have done things for you, come on, here's the question. It's not whether or not I have turned my back on you, but here's a great question in this Passion Week, in the saltiness and the sweetness of understanding what Jesus did. Let's ask ourselves this question on this Holy Week. Would I really turn my back on Jesus. Jesus says, this is, this is the guy who, I, 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 I walked around with you, I did things for you, I, I called you to be one of my own. Come on now, it's me, baby, come on, it's me, Judas. Is this how you're going to treat me after all I've done for you? Anybody ever felt like that before where you have somebody in your life and they just turn their back on you and you think after all I've done for you? Come on now, I know the world doesn't know how I prayed for you. The world doesn't know how I picked you up. The world doesn't know how I helped you out in your time of struggle. Anybody here like me that's had some people and you just look at them like, really? After all I've done for you, this is how you're going to do me? After all that I, come on now, you were calling me in the middle of the night asking for help. I was helping you with your kids. After all I've done for you, this is how you're going to do me? Jesus says, wait a minute, Judas. And to top it off, it wasn't like you just, you just sent them in there. You walked up to me and embraced me and used a sign of affection to set into motion the thing that took my life. Really? Would you betray me? Be- before you judge Judas too hardly, I think, I think there's some things that we probably should know about Judas that perhaps set this in motion. See, Judas is probably one of the most infamous people in the Bible. His, like his name is synonymous with betrayal. When you think in our culture of two figures that are synonymous with betrayal, you think of Benedict Arnold, right? And you think about Judas. As a matter of fact, you know, this, this happened a couple years ago. You remember when everybody used to do like those Facebook quizzes where it said like, which disciple are you? You remember those? Right? You know what I've never seen? I've never seen anybody post Judas. Because if you get that one, you're not putting it on your page, right? Because everybody knows that Judas is the guy who will turn his back on you. Judas is kind of synonymous with betrayal. But here's what you have to understand about Judas. Because Judas Iscariot, you notice that they, they always name, because there are many people who have the same name. And so there was Judas the Galilean. There are all these other different Judases. But when they talk about the Judas that hung out with Jesus, it was Judas Iscariot. They wanted to make sure that you knew who it was. And it's important to know that name because that name and that lineage was linked to a group of people that were considered rebels by the Roman government. Like the Roman government would have considered the people that Judas' lineages came from, that his community, his family, this group of people, the Roman government might have even considered them to be terrorists. Like they were, they were adamant that they were tired of being punked by Rome. And what they decided is, is that we're going to take things over 
by any means necessary, including violence, that we want a king, we want a Messiah. It was a term that the Jewish citizens knew that there was a, a guy who was going to be the Messiah. It meant a king. It meant a conqueror, someone who would come and restore power to Israel. And in Judas's mind and in the mind of all those that he hung out with, the faction that he grew up around, in their mind, they wanted a conquering king like David. You know David. He kicked butt and he took names. This same guy who took out Goliath. Like, we want a king like that. We're sick and tired of Rome punking us. How is it that they got into our country, into our nation, and they're telling us what to do? So when Judas name is dropped. Judas is a guy who was radical. He was, he was a rebel. The Roman government might have considered him and his crew, uh, he might have considered them terrorists. And they had an intense love and passion for their nation. What's happening right now in our country as Rome is taking over is not right. And they long for a king to come and overthrow Rome and to establish Israel back as a national power. And they meant business including if we got to be violent, we'll do it. Judas is often seen as a betrayer because in so many ways, it, it looks on the surface like Judas just flat out walked away from Jesus and betrayed him. But I think there's some stuff in his heart that is just like our hearts that I want us to deal with. As Jesus asked the question, would you betray me? See, his heart, like ours, was intense but inaccurate it was irregular, and his love was most certainly incomplete. Okay, that's us. Because most of us don't even realize that we are totally incapable of fully loving God the way that God deserves. And maybe Judas's problem wasn't so much that, that he was a problem, that he walked away. Maybe Judas's problem is just like ours. Maybe he had love. Maybe he had an affection. But the human heart is easily attracted, and it's also easily distracted. You know how we are. Like, every week I come in, Jesus, I love you. I love you, squirrel. <laughs> then I'm back in church on Sunday. I love you, Jesus. I love you. Take my life, squirrel. And I'm easily attracted, but I'm also easily distracted. I think maybe because Judas really did like this guy. Like Jesus, Jesus seemed like he was going to be the guy. He seemed like he was going to be the Messiah. He seemed like, I mean, Jesus taught great stuff. Jesus did great stuff. I mean, think about this. Judas walked around with Jesus for three and a half years, and he watched him heal people. He watched him open up the biggest Captain D's in history in the middle of the desert and did a fish fry with hush puppies. And come on, y'all feel me now. Catfish and coleslaw. And it said there were 12 baskets full left. There was the little cheddar business. Come on now, get with me. He, 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 he saw him do that. And I don't think that, G that Judas didn't didn't necessarily love Jesus. I think he saw Jesus as, man, this, this actually might be the guy. We've been waiting for centuries for this Messiah to come. I don't know if you knew this, but if you ever look at, okay, some of y'all sophisticated, you don't have like a real Bible. You have it on your phone like I do. But all of us who still have a real physical Bible, if you look at between the Old Testament and New Testament, you ever notice there's a blank page? Scholars say that page represents a nearly 400-year period that God stopped talking to the prophets until the time that Jesus came. So for over 400 years, the people of Israel were waiting for God to rescue them. 
And this guy named Jesus comes along, and Judas is all in. Like, I believe that Judas says, this might be the guy. This might be the guy who gets us out of this oppression. This might actually be the guy. Because you got to understand something. When Jesus asked Judas to join his crew, Judas accepted. Which meant that he, there was something about Jesus that he loved. There was something about this guy. But I don't think it was just that Judas had a bad heart. I think just like many of us, his heart was easily attracted, and it was easily distracted. And he wanted what he wanted. See, he was a good disciple because his heart was easily attracted to Jesus, but he struggled because his heart was easily distracted from Jesus. Is there anybody else in here who has that same problem where I love Jesus one moment and then the next moment I'm ready to cuss somebody out? Because, okay, y'all not going to be real, right? But you know how it is where, man, I had a great worship service on Sunday, but then I got to go back to work on Monday and deal with those folks. Is there anybody in here besides me who's easily attracted? And then there's moments where I'm also distracted. I forgot. I almost forgot I was a pastor. You know how people can do that to you. I don't think, I think Judas is just like us. Like, like he, he loves Jesus. I, I love Jesus, but there's some stuff out there that sometimes gets me off course. It gets me distracted, and I don't think that Judas necessarily didn't love him. I just think, just like many of us, his heart is easily attracted, but it's also easily distracted. There's so many things in this world that can draw me away from Jesus, and, and, and we're all just like Judas. Watch this. Incapable of loving God completely. As much as I want to muster up my love for God, come on, let's just be honest, we're family. There are times in my life, more often than not, than the love that I should show God falls so short of the love that God shows me. I mean, my, my love is inaccurate, it is incomplete, it is inconsistent. Sometimes it's even inappropriate because I tie up Jesus' mother and throw in the closet and threaten Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about. God, if you do this, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. You know how we are when we try to bargain with God. We try to use our good behavior sometimes to bargain with God. Or sometimes we say, God, you don't know all the stuff that I've been through. And, and you don't know that I've actually been doing the right thing. Come on now, God, I go to church every Sunday. I pay my tithes and offering. And God is saying, you should do that. What do you want, a cookie? You know, when Jesus says that, he says, you know, um, loving your friends, he says, if, even people who don't believe in me do that. That don't impress me. But, but you know how it is. We, we sometimes, we want God to, to do stuff. Here, here's what's interesting about the life of Judas, because they were radical. He was, he was the type of guy who, who wanted Jesus to raise up an army. Okay, Jesus, you're here. You're the Messiah. Let's sharpen up our knives and our clubs and our swords. Let's train. Let's, let's raise up an army. There's going to be an insurrection. And, and Jesus just wouldn't do it Judas's way. Anybody else have that story? Just, just look straight ahead. Anybody know I'm talking about you? <laughs> See, you dropped your head. Now they're going to know I'm talking about you. Where, where my story is, I actually, maybe in the back of my mind, think that my behavior can make God do something. And, and, and Judas was tired of this. A lot of scholars believe that Judas was tired 
of, of this whole thing with Jesus because although he thought he was a great guy and he loved him to death, come on now, Drew, Jesus, let's, let's get this party started. Let's get an army. Like, I've been walking with you for three years. If you're going to be the Messiah, if you're going to be the kind of king that I think you should be, then you need to do it this way. And some of us have that same issue, don't God? If you're going to be the type of God that I think you should be, then you should do the good that I think you should do. And when God doesn't do the good that I think God should do, then I struggle with whether or not God has turned his back on me. But Jesus has a question for you this morning. It's not whether or not if I've turned my back on you. The question is, have you turned your back on me? Maybe I won't do the good that you think should be done, or I won't do it in the way that you think should be done, or maybe I won't answer your prayer in the way that you think it should be answered. And the question is, if you don't get from me what you want, are you willing to use a kiss to kill me? Judas, a lot of scholars believe the problem was that he really did like Jesus, and some of the reason why he sold him out, you know the story, he he sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Can I just say this and parenthetically pause? Be careful of a God that you can sell out. Be careful when your God has a price. Be careful when you're willing to abandon the person who's been with you your whole life because somebody distracts you with something that seems to be more valuable. And a lot of scholars believe that maybe Judas did it because he didn't really understand what was going to happen to Jesus. Like he expected him to be arrested. He expected maybe they'll rough him up a little bit, but he wasn't really expecting them to kill him. That's why the text says that he goes on and he feels so bad about it that he, he took his own life because Judas really didn't understand. And really what he was trying to accomplish, watch this, he was trying to provoke Jesus into action. If I get him arrested, maybe roughed up a little bit, maybe that'll make him angry enough that he'll do things my way. And so he sells him out. Because he wouldn't do the good that Judas thought he should do. And because he wouldn't, God wouldn't do the good that Judas thought he should do. Because Jesus wouldn't be the type of king that Judas thought he should be. He sold him out as a way of provoking him to do something the way that Judas thought it should be done. And so that night, Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. He uses a kiss to set into emotion Events that eventually kill Jesus. I want to pause for a second. Because I want us to ask ourselves this question. As we're kind of celebrating the two polar opposites and extremes of this week. Have I been guilty of trying to manipulate God to be the type of God that I want God to be? You know how we do it. We find a scripture that I like. Okay, some of y'all are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. I'll customize the Bible to the way that I like, to my affiliation, to my politics, to my race, whatever it is that I'm doing. Am I guilty of walking out on God because, watch this, I'm not, I'm not trying to serve a God in whom image I'm created. I'm trying to create a God in my own image. And the reason why Judas did what he did is because he didn't like the way that Jesus did things. Can I be honest with you? There's some times where I don't understand why God does what God does and why he does it and when he does it and how he does it. I don't always get it. But Jesus' question is, even if I'm not going to be the type of God that you want me to be, will you betray me? Will you waltz into the garden 
and kiss me on the cheek and give me a sign of affection like you love me only to lead me to my death. See, here's the issue. Because Judas teaches us all about ourselves. Can I just make a confession this morning? Because most of us think, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that, that somehow, maybe some of us grew up in church, maybe some of us didn't, maybe some of us got this message intentionally, maybe unintentionally, but somehow we've been taught that what we do makes God do. You know what the problem with that is? Is that many of us struggle to understand how much God loves us because when we don't do, we think God won't do. When, when, I, when I don't do right, can God really love me? When I don't do what what somebody told me I should do as a child, is God going to still love me? And when I think that God is motivated by me manipulating him through my deeds, can I just let you in on a secret? That's not the God that Christianity teaches. And Judas thought that you're not going to do the good that, that I want you to do, so I'm going to do something to make you do what I want. And, and many of us live this life where we don't even know that we're silently betraying God because somebody taught you that if you do something, that God will do something. But I can tell you something. God loves you despite what you do. The God of Christianity does not respond to you with his love because you do. In other words, God cannot be manipulated. Okay, let me break it down. God cannot love you any more than he already loves you, and he cannot love you any less than he already loves you. There is nothing you can do, good or bad, that will move God away from God loving you. And so there's no need to feel like I need to do something to make God do something. The problem with that philosophy and that theology is it assumes that in order for God to do good for me, I've got to be a good person. Can I just let you in on a secret? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And Judas teaches us that putting all our stake in being good is not what moves God to do anything. As a matter of fact, I just want to make an announcement. Don't get offended. Because a lot of times people will ask when we struggle. Remember we, when I said that we believe that somehow God betrays us. The reason why we believe that God betrays us is because I've been a good person. And so God should be good because I've been good. Come on now. Whatever I do should, should manifest in what God does. If I'm good, then God should be good. And then we ask ourselves this question when things don't go right. Uh, why do, you know the question I'm about to ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Can I let you in on a secret? The reason why bad things don't happen to good people is because there are no good people. Matter of fact, just look at your neighbor and say, you're not that good. <laughs> don't scare him, I want him to come back. Because <laughs> Christianity teaches us that none of us are good. And, and if you realize that God loves you despite what you do, then you understand that there's no need for you to think that you always have to be good so God can be good. God is good because God is good, not because you are. And Judas, Judas teaches us this truth. Here's the truth. You ready? The truth is we are not good people. All of us have a heart that is inconsistent, inaccurate, sometimes inappropriate, 
And if nothing else, our love for God is totally incomplete. I can never love God to the extent that he wants me to love him. So, so the truth is, we are not good people. I don't care what somebody's told you that you need to be good. The truth is, you're not a good person. That's why I can't answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Because Christianity teaches none of us are good. We will betray Jesus. Can I be honest with you? We all have trouble behaving. We all think that somehow that our, our doing is what makes God good. And Judas had the same problem. He thought, well, I want Jesus to be the type of Jesus I want him to be, so I'm going to do good, or I'm going to do it my way to get him to do it my way. And it doesn't really work out that way. But can I tell you what God's response is? Uh, and then we'll get ready to roll out because it's family Sunday. I want the kids to be able to get out. Listen to what, what happens. If, if you go back to Luke chapter 22, verse 21, you see something interesting. You see that Jesus, you remember this, sitting at his table with his disciples. They're celebrating for them what was called the Passover. For us, we call it communion of the Lord's Supper. So every year they would celebrate the Passover. So for those who don't know what that is, in the Old Testament, when God told Moses to bring the people out of Egypt, on the last plague, there were 10 plagues, he said there's going to be a death angel that's going to come through Egypt and kill all the firstborn. But if you sacrifice a lamb and you put the blood on the doorpost, the death angel will pass over you. And so Every year after their emancipation from Egypt, they commemorated and celebrated the Passover. Except now Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to die. I'm going to be, watch this, that lamb for you. So that when spiritual death should be your destiny, there's going to be something that's going to pass over you. And, and he sits down with his disciples and they're having this meal. They're celebrating the Passover uh, and they're doing their thing. And then Jesus says something interesting that I don't want you to miss in chapter 22, verse 21. Here's what Luke says. But here at this table, this is Jesus talking, sitting among us as a friend is a man who will betray me. What? Okay, so let's back up. So Jesus, you knew that this guy who walked up to you in the garden and gave you a killer kiss, you knew the whole time that they were going to betray? Because Jesus goes on in the other gospel that says, all the disciples say, which one is it? That's kind of scary when you're like, is it me? Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. That kind of reveals the capability of my heart, right? Like, all of them are asking, is it me, Lord? And Jesus says, no, the one who dips the bread in the cup with me. And here's what you got to understand. And when they said they're sitting at the table, they didn't sit at the tables like we do. They had a low table, and they sort of reclined back on their elbow, and so they kind of laid next to each other. And so in order for that person who Jesus is talking about to dip the bread in the cup with him, it had to be the person right next to him. Okay, don't miss this. So you mean to tell me, Jesus, that this guy who walked in the garden to betray you with a kiss, who tried to manipulate you into doing stuff, his way. This guy who was a part of this rebellious crew that who decided to sell you out because he was trying to get you to do stuff his way. You mean to tell me that when you had the last meal you will ever have with your crew, the person who's sitting next to you is the person who you knew would stab you in the back. So here's the question. 
Why does God even want me when he knows I have the potential to turn my back on him at any moment? Because remember, I said my love is inconsistent, it's inaccurate, it is incomplete, my heart is attracted, but it's also distracted. Why would you want not just me at your table, God, but you want it to be right next to me, even though you know that I will sell you out in a minute? You know what the answer to that is? Grace. The reason why God wants us, even though we're not good people, is because even though you're not good, God is. And even though he knows that I will betray him and you will betray him at the drop of a dime, he still wants us at his table. Wow, what kind of God is that? I mean... You can't get me to sit down with somebody that I know is about to stab me in the back. And even though he knew that, Jesus still sat down with him. A few, a few years ago when we were about to have Miles, uh, <laughs> and so we sat down, the, our boys, Malachi and Chibi, and we said, um, we're about to have another, another baby. And you know, it's always, it's always interesting, like when you have one child, like, you, you, you know, you just tell your family and friends, but then you have a child and you have a second one, you got to tell the first one. And so, you know, we had a little bit of practice, so we got to tell both of them. And I promise you, this is, I don't even remember how old Malachi was, uh, but he sat down at the table when we told him, okay, we're going to have a, a little brother or sister next summer. And he sat down, no lie, my wife's down there, she can verify this, I'm not making this up. He sat down at the table, rubbed his little chin, and said, three kids. <laughs> That's a lot of kids to take care of. <laughs> Like you're not part of that equation. <laughs> See, when God sees us and he sees that we're not good people and he sees that we are sinners, can I just tell you, God is saying, that's a lot to take care of. But he sent his son, Jesus. So, so the real question is, why does God want me? When I was young, I um, had a bike. It was a hand-me-down bike. Uh, and so in the neighborhood that we lived in, uh, they were doing construction. And so we thought it would be cool as kids um, to, to take the dirt and kind of shape them into ramps and jump over these big ditches that they were building. You already know this is going to go bad. <laughs> and so everybody else had these fancy bikes. Uh, you remember back in, back in the uh, early 80s, it was like, you know, you wanted a mongoose. Anybody remember the mongoose bike, right? And I had this little rickety hand-me-down bike. And so everybody was doing their thing. They're jumping. I had my little bike, so I decided, you know what? I'm going uh, to take my turn, too. And so I rode all the way down to the end, and, and I'm, drive, I'm riding my bike. I mean, I'm at top speed, y'all. I'm getting it. I'm like Lance Armstrong. Like, I'm going, and I can hear my little bike clinking and it's shaking. You know how when, you're, like, when your car transmission is bad, that one side shakes like that? My car, my car was shaking. My bike was shaking. And then I hit the ramp. And, and I got in the air, and I promise you, this is probably like one of the only times I have ever heard God's audible voice in my life. I, I got in the air, and it was like the heavens opened up, and God leaned over heaven's balcony and said, you ain't going to make it, son. <laughs> and he was right. I wasn't anywhere close. I landed in that ditch and tumbled and got all tangled up in the bike, uh, and I really hurt myself. Here's my point. 
Because God says that's a lot to take care of. And, and we're looking at, you know what, if, if I'm just good enough, I can take care of this distance between me and God. And God says, you're trying to clear a ditch that you ain't going to make. That's why we need Jesus. Because Jesus came so that we didn't have to try to clear that ditch on our own. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Ephesians, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead because of our sins. See, your problem and my problem is not just that I'm not a good person. I'm not even alive. I'm dead. I can see God looking over heaven's balcony with the angels and the Holy Spirit saying, I see dead people. <laughs> Some of y'all caught that. Some of y'all catch that on the way home. Just explain it. I got I to keep going. Your neighbor will explain on the way home. See, the problem is not just that we're not good. The problem is because of sin, we were dead. And my heart is easily attracted, but it's also easily distracted. And God knows that my love is incomplete. So Jesus doesn't just die when we come to celebrate next week his resurrection. He didn't just die on Friday because of what you won't do. And let's be honest, you won't. You're just as inconsistent as I am and just as inconsistent as Judas is. We are all inconsistent, inaccurate. Our love is incomplete. But Jesus doesn't die because of what you won't do. He dies because of what you can't do. You can't clear that ditch on your own. He says, that's a lot to take care of. Let me take care of it for you. Here's my last statement, and then we'll get ready to pray. God knows our love is inconsistent inaccurate and inappropriate but his response is not rejection his response is resurrection you know what Jesus does for dead people he dies for them the answer to the question is will you betray Jesus the answer is yes I'll answer it for you but he still wants you anyway and just because I'm not good and just because I'm dead doesn't mean that God doesn't want me Jesus dies for dead people. His response to you, because you're not good, is not rejection. His response to you is resurrection. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to just reflect on the fact that all of us, when we come to think of it, are really just like Judas. That our love is inconsistent, it's incomplete, it's inaccurate. God, there's no way that we are capable of loving you the same way that you love us. But God, we thank you that even though we are not good people, even though we will betray you in moments in our life, we thank you that you still invite us to your table, that you still invite us to your kingdom, that even though we were dead because of our sins, we thank you that you sent Jesus not to reject us, but to be resurrected for us, that Jesus dies for dead people. And so, God, we thank you for that. I pray, God, if there's anyone that's under the sound of my voice who's never made that commitment to give their heart to Jesus, that they would do that today. That they would wait any further to understand that you don't have to be good enough for God to love you, but God loves you because God is good. And so, God, as we pray, as we prepare now to take Holy Communion, God, I pray that you would make this for us a moment where we can reflect on the goodness of your grace and your mercy and on the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, who dies for dead people and who restores us through resurrection. God, we thank you and we love you, and we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.